Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Full Court Press, an extension of Five on the Floor. We talk general NBA with kind of a little bit of an eye for some analytics and some numbers here and there, as well as the eye test, which we will most likely defer to the great Marco Romo, who is with me tonight. I am Gadiel Cartagena. I'm joined by the great Marco Romo and my guy at Ariel Atias. So we're going to chop it up. We're going to talk general NBA, right? There's going to be a lot of different conversation to be had because there's so much that goes on in this beautiful association. Um, And no conversation may be bigger this year, uh, especially from an individual standpoint, than the MVP conversation, right? Um, The MVP conversation is something that it feels like every time you refresh Twitter, you see someone saying, oh, if this person is not in your MVP conversation, then you're not having a real conversation. And I know Heat Twitter is victim to that. There's tons of fan bases that will just tweet out their best player. And that is who deserves to be in the MVP conversation. Like at some point, we probably had De'Aaron Fox in the MVP conversation uh, at some point throughout this year. But I do want to get your opinions on this. Uh, Marco, I will start with you. If you, maybe your favorite and then a dark horse, uh, who are you looking at for the MVP combo right now? Well, all right, we're getting right into it, Marcos. Uh, I think I would go Jokic right now. Uh, I'm starting. Everybody's going to say, like, um, it's the games thing that he has an advantage over because he's played, like, the most games. He hasn't missed a game at all. Like, like that's underrated. Like, <laughs> the fact that he's, like, an Iron Man like, in this kind of season – even though look, he's not an iron at all. He's made of like pillows, but he's still able <laughs> to like play every night. And he's putting up like these are insane numbers, like twenty-seven, ten, and eight. That's like with like sixty-three percent effective field goal percentage. That's like bonkers stuff. That's like what guards do, but like he's doing it even more efficiently than that. Like Russell Westbrook, like his MVP year, he did this kind of thing. And, you know, he was fourth place, you know, most guys don't get MVP who are that low uh, in terms of seating, but I guess the teams are just so bunched up and nobody's going to give it to Chris Paul as much as I love Chris Paul. Uh, You know, he's been awesome. It's just, I think it's Jokic all the way right now. And I feel like uh, I did hear Mark Jones yesterday. I was watching the dunker spot. Uh, Shout out to Nikaias and Steve Jones Jr. They were interviewing him. He said that he actually would go with Embiid despite, you know, the games and all that because of the defensive impact that Joel has. Uh, I just think that uh, Jokic's defense is fine enough. Like, he said that he saw him get subbed out a lot this year. I think Jokic, I don't know, I haven't seen that as much this year. Uh, In years past, he used to get, like, beaten off the court uh, with his slow feet. 
but now they're playing a better like drop zone. Like they they help off of uh, their guy pretty well, and they don't let uh, Jokic get destroyed in the pick and roll anymore. He's passable, and I think that passableness isn't like Trey Young level bad. Where, yeah, where it's gonna affect his like MVP candidacy. Uh, I did, however, like, and he would be like the first true center to like win this thing since like, what Shaq maybe like two thousand one or two thousand actually. <laughs> uh, but I guess if you could go with like Dirk Nowitzki uh, back in 07, but you know he was like a power forward center guy who I don't know. I guess you could count him, and even if you do, that's still like fourteen years. That's like old enough to drive. So I think that's still or. I think that's still Jokic's to win right now. Either way, we're going to get a big man winning the award. So shout out to the 90s. Yeah, both both top candidates right now are Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. And I mean, Embiid has been dominant. But like you said, like the Ironman ability of Nikola Jokic right now is truly unbelievable. Right. And he's also been doing it uh, without Jamal Murray. Ariel, is Jokic your guy as well? Yep. Uh, I'm going to go Nikola Jokic as well. I really want to make an argument the other way for Joel Embiid, but it's hard for me to do it when I genuinely don't really believe in it. I think Joel Embiid has been spectacular this season when he's been healthy and available. He's led the Sixers to, are they first? Yeah, they have the best record in the East. He's missed some time, but truly when he's been on the court, he's been absolutely unstoppable. But Nikola Jokic, man. I mean, like Marco said, the guy's averaging 26 and a half, 11 boards, a shade under nine assists, one and a half steals, almost a block. He's shooting 57% from the field, 85 from the line, 41 from three. He's been unbelievable. He is a one-man offense on his own. Um, That's been evidenced right in the four games since Jamal Murray's been out. Uh, They've won all four games the Nuggets have. He's averaging 29 and a half points per game, 12 and a half rebounds, and eight assists in those games. Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets are a plus 339 plus minus cumulatively this season with him on the court. That is ridiculous. He is an absolute one-man offense on his own, and he is the single reason why I think they're going to be able to stay afloat and remain in that 4-5 spot, uh, even without Jamal Murray. Um, a lot of the other guys on the team are going to have to take more of a uh, more of an offensive burden, and, and of course, Nikola Jokic is going to have to increase the usage rate and have to do a little bit more for them, but I think he's capable of it. Um, he's been the best player in the NBA this season, so it's got to be him in my opinion. Yeah, his, I mean, his overall impact, like you said, one-man offense is really the perfect way to describe Jokic. He's truly someone that is still keeping them afloat. And, like, I love Faku, but Faku is pretty much, like, one of their main guards right now uh, with Jamal Murray being out. And, like, they absolutely annihilated the Heat when they played them just because Jokic brings that kind of talent. He elevates so many other people. So I love the Nikola Jokic pick. I also believe that he should be the MVP for all the reasons that you guys said. Now I want to transition over to a – a more a different conversation, right? The DPOY conversation, I think, is not so much of a front runner as people have made it out to be on Twitter. Um, I believe the top three right now is Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, and Bam Adebayo. Now, Marco, I don't know if you would actually pick Bam, but I believe you did write an article on making the case, right? So how what, what exactly was in that article, and do you think Bam has a realistic claim to win it this season? Uh. I think realistically, probably not. Uh, I think uh, my main thing with the piece that I had, uh, I had wanted people to take away was at least put him in the conversation. I think it's been absolutely disrespectful that he hasn't been in the conversation. Like up until I guess the past week, like uh, NBA.com's TPOY uh, letter uh, finally included him in the top three. Like I was like tired of seeing Miles Turner in there. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I know, he, like Miles is a 
fine defender, but he doesn't do all the things that Bam does. And that was uh, shout out to Andrew Green. Uh, thank you for for that donation. You know, uh, thanks for you know supporting the team. Uh, but yeah, my thing is like give give him in the conversation. It's disrespectful not having him in there because of just how much he does for Miami. Like he's he's the He's the main ingredient to what makes Miami's defense even, like, passable sometimes whenever he has guys, like, whenever they play a lineup of Dragic, uh, Nunn, and Hero, it's only passable if you have Bam out of Bayou out there. Like, he's the guy that makes the offense change their game plan. You know, there's a big that can switch onto, onto whoever or whatever pick and roll you want to run. And, like, each team, that's their main thing is they want to run a pick and roll. That's, like, the easiest thing. And Bam can just take that away very easily. And now you see that with teams, you know, they're trying to run uh, the pick and roll to get advantages now because Bam's, like, he's so willing to switch. But, like, that's a good problem to have whenever your center is, like, so good at switching out to the teams are actually wanting to use that to their advantage. And even then, it's still, like, a hard thing to grasp because teams don't all have uh, Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid to, like, uh, force uh, those kind of mismatches because post-ups are generally a really inefficient uh, shot uh, unless you have a guy like Jokic or Embiid who can get that shot effectively. So I think uh, the kind of havoc that Bam uh, makes offenses run is underrated. Like, he he changes the, the entire offensive game plan of some opponents, and it's, like, marvelous to watch every night. And, like, it's underrated to me. Like, give him the conversation at least. I think he's going to win one. In the future, but I just I'm tired of the disrespect of not having him in the conversation. Yeah, like you'll you'll see on Twitter, there's people just completely disregarding Bam Adebayo as even like in that conversation. He is squarely in that conversation. Arrow, you're shaking your head right now. Uh, your thoughts on this entire conversation? I'm just I'm shaking my head, but I genuinely agree with everything Marco said. I wanted to make the Bam argument, but I think he hit the nail on the head in terms of all the different things that Bam's able to do for the Heat's defense. If we're being realistic. The Heat were not a great defensive team last year, and they have a lot of the same personnel as they did last year. The fact that they are sixth in the NBA in defensive rating, they're a top three team um, in a point. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, they're a top three team in opponent points per game allowed. They're an excellent field goal def- uh, percentage defensive team, like all around just a great defensive team. And I think a lot of that is due to Bam. Uh, real quick before we keep going, Christian Cardis, thank you for both of the those two dollar donos. We appreciate you. Give me Bam plus Splash Crackers over Brick Clemens any day. Listen, <laughs> hey, I, I'm I'm with you in terms of I'd rather have Bam, but I'm not here to slander Ben Simmons. As fun as it might be sometimes to slander the Sixers, if we're being completely unbiased here, Ben Simmons is a fantastic defender. So yes. since uh, Marco Romo went Bam out of bio, I'm gonna go Ben Simmons just to give another perspective here. He's averaging one and a half steals per game, half a block, but his individual defensive rating is 106.7. That's really good. An average defensive rating is, I believe, about 110 in the NBA. So that's a really, like, I mean, he's just a a spectacular defender. His defensive field goal percentage in terms of what he holds, the guys that he guards to, um, is 41.7% from the field. He has a defensive box plus minus of 1.8. So um, the Sixers are second in the NBA in defensive rating. They're seventh in opponents' points per game allowed and fourth in opponents' field goal percentage allowed. So a lot of that is due to Ben Simmons. He can switch onto just about anybody on the court. He's not elite down low, um, but he's not at all like a poor defender in any area, especially uh, on the perimeter. He's just spectacular. He can absolutely shut you down. We see him hound guys. He'll switch all over the court, like I said. So I think 
based on that and the fact that it's kind of the sexier name, the media would be more likely to lean Ben Simmons or perhaps Rudy Gobert, whom I believe you can make an argument for. But in my personal opinion, he's a drop big. He primarily defends at the rim and he is elite at it. He is the best in the NBA at that. He completely shuts off the paint and takes that area of the game away from you. And though it is a regular season award, in a playoff setting, that's something that you can scheme against. If you have uh, guards and wings who are really good off the pick and roll at pulling up from the mid-range, from the three-point line, and getting to their shot, um, that's something you can take advantage of with regards to Rudy because he's usually going to be sitting in the paint. He's not lost in space, though. He can switch, though it's not something they want to do frequently because he's so long and he has decent mobility. You know, he can he can catch up to a guard who gets by him and still recover in time to make a block and make a play at the rim. Um, but there are no weaknesses as far as Ben Simmons go defensively. Uh, same for Bam out of bio. So uh, those would be my two top guys. Um, but I feel like Rudy might get it anyways because it's just a sexier pick. Yeah, I mean, also, the thing with Rudy that makes him so elite is he's the most elite at rim protection in the NBA. But in the regular season, that's also the most valuable defensive trait to have right like he like the game plan defensively is how do we score on Rudy and you have to try to do like pull-up shots like you said against the drop you have to be a good three-point shooting team because Rudy honestly is just not going to let a lot of points in the paint happen so I think Rudy given the team success is definitely going to have a really good claim at winning it I would love to see Bam be in that conversation more but I just like you guys said I don't know if he has the name cachet around him right now to really fortify himself in that conversation. Maybe he has a few more highlights on primetime. I don't know how many more times that he play on primetime. But, like, it seems like after everyone watched him against Kyrie, they're like, whoa, wait, Bam's Bam's kind of special on defense. Um, but he hasn't had that many chances to do that as opposed to Ben Simmons or Rudy Gobert, who everyone's just watching them play defense because that's what they hang their hat on already. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not – I'm kind of tired of the – big defensive center winning yes. DPOY yeah, every, every day here. It's like, uh, I get it. Rudy Gobert is protecting the rim. Like He's really good at it and all that. I'm just like, I'm kind of tired of it in general. Ask Chris Paul how scared he is of Rudy Gobert at the rim because he goes <laughs> at him every single time they play. The floater's in the lane. He's just not afraid of Rudy Gobert. Look, Rudy Gobert, like we said, is a spectacular defender, but there are ways to take advantage of the yeah. way that he plays defense. So, you know, if you've got guards that are really good in the mid-range and like to get into that pull-up jumper when the opponent's playing uh, drop, that's there all day long. Uh, Rudy's spectacular, and I think that like Marco was hitting at, like he kind of fits the traditional mold of the type of player that would win DPOY um, in that he's that big who just protects the pain and anchors the defense. So uh, Hassan, Defensive Player of the Year. Christian Cardis, I don't think so, buddy. Um <laughs> That, uh, yeah, we're not going to do that. A few, a few years back, right? A few years back, Bam might have been in that conversation. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the DPOY conversation is so fun to talk about. I think uh, now that there's really like a, a, a top three, and I mean, you could throw Giannis in, in that conversation. He's been fantastic on the defensive end as well. Um, but I feel like people are just, there's voter fatigue with Giannis regarding Giannis with MVP and DPOY. Like that is just pretty much where we're at, I think. It's going to be really hard for him to win that award both times three years in a row. It's just something doesn't really happen much more. Uh, Marco, we'll give this one to you. What's your top five DPOY besides these three? Putting yourself on the spot here. All right, so I have those three as the top three. Uh, and I guess I would go after that. It's so hard because so many guys have missed like so many games. Uh, I'm going to give you with a, a curveball. I'm going to say 
five, the fifth guy here is I'm gonna say Drew Holiday. Mm. Okay. I feel I feel like he's changed what they do on defense so much, and like he hounds guards. Like I want him to shut down Trey Young to like the point that he got visibly frustrated about it, and I was like, Dang, this guy is like so good, and he changes so much of they what what they want to do. And like fourth, I'm gonna probably go with Miles Turner because he was still being like really really good beforehand. I also could see an argument for DeAndre Ayton in the same way that people have argued for Miles Turner. Uh, because of just how their mere presence in the rim or at the paint uh, affects teams. But I'm going to go with Miles, even though, you know, he's going to be out for quite a while. But it's just so many people that have gotten hurt this year. I don't put that really against him. The same way I don't put it against Embiid as much. Uh, but I guess the MVP award is like a different category of its own. So I'll say Ben, Bam, Rudy. Not in that, not in that order. Uh, Drew uh, and Embiid. Forget so about no, Turner. I just remembered about Embiid. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Embiid is Embiid is a beast on defense. Like that is what makes part of part of what makes Philadelphia so scary defensively is they have Ben Simmons and Embiid, and both of those guys play different roles defensively. That they work together and like the cohesion between the way that they play defense is really special, and they can make a lot of noise on the defensive end. Um, no, no, TJ McConnell love. I'm shocked after him being on the DPOY ladder for multiple weeks after hounding Tyler Hero for one game. <laughs> he's special. Like, uh, stealing inbounds passes. Like, he's like it's one of the all best inbounds stealers of like all time. It's crazy. In, all, in that he first, down. he's a good defender, but he shouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. In that first game uh, where they came to Miami and I think they spanked the Heat, um, the Heat guards literally could not get that ball across half court without TJ McConnell making them take up seven seconds of the eight seconds available or stealing the ball in the backcourt or making them pick up the ball and pass it out of the backcourt. Like he is just a hound, but I agree. I don't think like this, this, you know, the defensive player of the year talk uh, should be reserved for guys who can have a tangible, legitimate impact across multiple positions, in my opinion, defensively. So to me, yes, TJ McConnell is a very pesky defender. He is a good defender. I am not knocking him at all. (laughs) <laughs> but there's only one guy on the go- on the court that he's consistently guarding. It's the other team's smaller guard. That's generally what it is. You're not putting him on bigger two guards. You're not putting him on wings. So I don't think he belongs in there. Um, yeah, we got a comment here. Hard. Shout out Morv, Morvs, Morks. Um, actually, I want to go to the first one, Manny. Um, thoughts on the Raptors. So the Raptors are currently half a game out of the play-in. They opted not to trade Kyle Lowry, and they got rid of Norman Powell getting Gary Trent. Um, do you guys have any opinion on how the Raptors are – approaching this post-trade deadline madness for them? Uh, I guess I kind of – I don't get it. <laughs> it looks like they want to take – like the lineups that they're putting out there are wild. They're playing Freddie Gillespie. I don't know if you guys even know who that is. Uh, <laughs> probably not because I barely knew who he was. Uh, he did go to Baylor. Oh, uh, yeah, and I was like, okay, they're trying to take – Exactly. They're trying to take, though, but they're like, uh, Masai Ujiri's like, but I got, I brought Kyle Lowry back because I guess we could have made the playing tournament, but it doesn't even look like they're trying to play for the playing tournament. Uh, we can mm-hmm. probably segue into that later. But, and I, I have a problem with, like, if you're going to bring him back, you're just wasting another year of this guy that you ha- held so highly in regards to, like, your team's, like, franchise. And I'm like, really? You brought him back just to, not even try. You're probably gonna lose them in the off season. Maybe. Yeah. I, I I'm I just don't get it. 
Yeah, it looked what they did was kind of counterintuitive. Like, I like that they're getting guys like Malachi Flynn minutes because he's someone that could end up being a pretty good player in the NBA. Um, and they've had a good history of developing those smaller guards into pretty special players. Um, but at the same time, they've won four straight. Uh, they somehow have a positive point differential. I think it's because they had that like 60 point win against the Raptors or against the, the Warriors. But it was really, really weird that they didn't trade Lowry. That to me just still doesn't really make much sense um, unless he's staying in the offseason. But I don't think like this is the perfect opportunity for them to full on tank right like you're not playing in your hometown you have a bunch of players ravaged by injury and you have like big name expiring free agents that you can move so it didn't really make sense to me ariel and you're actually from canada and you live in canada uh any specific thoughts on what the raptors are doing right now so i'll just make the uh devil's advocate argument here i mean i hear what you guys are saying i was i had the same opinions around the trade deadline but the more it sits with me i mean he is a tremendously important player to that team that fan base and the culture that they have there right he's considered the best player in the Raptors franchise history and for good reason he's been a leader for years on that team and frankly I would imagine that there is a chance that they're at least considering bringing him back I guess it would depend on the price point and how the team shapes up for next year so I'm not really going to speculate on that but look he's a really good player there's something to be said for regardless of whether or not you're necessarily a championship team and you expect to win a championship in whatever year, um, having, you know, players that have been around the team that are regarded as leaders that, you know, help carry the culture. We're, we're all Miami heat fans. So, I mean, this should, we should all be able to relate to this, um, yes. the carry the culture of the team and keeping them around. So I guess it'll depend on the price point. It did seem a little bit weird that they didn't move him at the deadline. It seemed, um, like he was ready to move on as well. Um, but listen, they kept, they kept him. And I, I know that Raptor fans are, are really happy. Like the timeline was pretty sad when it seemed like Kyle Lowry had played his last game and, and he kind of waved goodbye to the camera and all that after the game. So um, I'm, I'm kind of happy for, for Raptor fans, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm kind of happy about it. Of course you are. You're, you're Canadian. I, I would expect nothing less from you. Uh, Christian Cardus, thank you for letting me know that I actually botched uh, Malachi Flynn. I don't know why I said Malachi. It's Malachi. Uh, you are absolutely 100% right. So I don't, I don't know where that came from. But, you know, we'll, we'll just we'll keep moving forward. Um, let's talk about the play-in, actually, because the Raptors are one of the teams that could be in the play-in. Um, right now, the four teams that are currently in the play-in is seven, the Miami Heat, eight, the Charlotte Hornets, nine, the Indiana Pacers, ten, the Washington Wizards, and less than two, one full game out is both the Toronto Raptors and the Chicago Bulls. Um, so which of these teams, Ariel, I'll start with you, which of these teams is the most dangerous in a play-in game and could that could actually maybe make noise in the playoffs? I feel like the correct answer is probably Toronto, but I'm actually going to go Washington because I think – that in a short sample size, in a two-game sample size, right? Because if you're in the 9 or 10 spot, you've got to win two games to get into the playoffs. Um, in that small a time frame, a guy like Bradley Beal, perhaps even Russell Westbrook, but I'm really looking at Bradley Beal, can absolutely carry a team to victory. Um, the Wizards are not a good roster. They don't have a good team. Let's let's just put that out there. But Russ has been on an absolute tear, as the comments are, are saying right now. He's been on an absolute tear. Um, the dude puts up triple doubles and he's in his sleep. It's kind of ridiculous. He's never been the most efficient player. Um, and so historically that hasn't really led 
or been conducive to building championship or even just playoff success uh, teams. But man, Bradley Beal is just ridiculous. He's such a high level of player that if I'm a Heat fan or if I'm a Hornets fan who I believe are in the eight spot right now, um, I don't want to see Bradley Beal in in a play-in game. Like, absolutely not. That dude can win a game single-handedly. So I think just based on that, like all of those teams in that 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 um, area are flawed. None of them are perfect teams. None of them really have anything that you can say, oh, like that's why they're going to definitely win that one or two play-in games. Um, but as far as, you know, Bradley Beal and the Wizards go, he's the one player that scares me the most in that area. So I would probably go with the Wizards. Oh, very, very interesting that you go with the Wizards. Marco, your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to go West. Uh, I'm going to go West for the West play-in tournament, if that's okay. Uh, Ooh, okay. I'm going to say uh, the Warriors are the obvious answer. Uh, and it's obvious the answer why. Steph Curry. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to play that man And if you're the one or, or two seed. Uh, I, w- I would love to watch Rudy, Gobert, Rudy Gobert chase him around, like, trying to defend him. Uh, it's insane, the, like, what the run he's on. Like, I didn't get to point this out in his MVP candidacy, but it's very similar to Dwayne Wade's back in 2008. Uh, he's, like, carrying a mediocre squad out there. Uh, the only difference is that Dwayne wasn't in the, like, tail end of his prime. He was in the middle of his prime. So that's why, like, Warriors fans are so mad about, like, uh, them wasting this, like, last few years of Steph's prime. Because he's putting up, like, he had 72 threes in 10-game stretch, which was a record. <laughs> he had 30 – he has 30 or more points in 11 straight games this – or in an 11-game 11, 11 stretch just recently. He has eight games of 40 or more. The next closest person this year is at five. He has six games of 10 or more threes this year. Nobody in their career has more than that other than Clay, who has five of those games. And that's throughout his career. So it's like, it's, yeah, like, like he's absolutely <laughs> on a on a tear right now. Uh, and I get why, like, nobody would want to play him for in like a first round series. Like, if you're the Jazz, you, you don't want to see that. You don't want to have to defend that. Uh, the thing they had to go through is the play-in tournament, which is insane that that's even in the conversation, that they're not good enough to get past it. But it's just their squad is really mediocre. Uh, you can't, like, rely so much on Kelly Oubre Jr. every night. Like, he's he should be your fourth best player at the, I guess the least because he's like, sometimes he has to be their second leading scorer if Andrew Wiggins' shot isn't going. Which I will give Andrew Wiggins his props because the dude's been like pretty good this year. You know, like it's a career year for him. I like that he's putting it all together. You know, shout out to Chef Shirley. You know, he's defending his butt off out there. He's like a really good defender actually. Uh, Great. I, yeah, and I give him his props, but. He, Steph still has to carry that team like every night. If he's not scoring 40, they're more than likely going to be in a nail biter at the end of the game if they get lucky. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I brought up Steph's numbers. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't want to see the Warriors out in the West. Uh, out in the East, I guess at this moment it would be the Heat. Uh, that's my bias, but I don't think they're going to end up in the playing tournament, uh, yeah. which is why I get why Ariel actually went with the Wizards. Uh, but in the East, I'll probably say, uh, I'd, wow, if Boston gets down there, I guess Boston. It's whoever out of the current uh, three, four like teams that are like battling for the fourth and fifth spot that don't get yeah. there, I think they're going to be the most dangerous team. 
uh, in that play-in tournament. Uh, but other than that, uh, yeah, I think I'd go with the Warriors in the West. And I guess right now the Heat in the East. Uh, the, oh, you guys uh, didn't I mention – I actually want to ask you guys, like, in the play-in tournament, do you guys even know how that thing works? Because I barely know how the heck I that do, thing I works. I do, I okay. do. Yeah. It's so confusing. So but, this is how it works. Seven plays eight, nine plays ten. The winner of seven versus eight moves forward, and they are the seven seed. The loser of the seven eight game plays the winner of the nine versus ten game. The winner of that is the eight seed. Does that make sense? Okay, I only it only makes sense to me because I looked it up, but that wouldn't have made sense to me earlier. It is a little <laughs> bit complicated for sure. Yeah. I do well, want to offer a little bit of pushback, Marco. Just at, well, not really pushback, but I have a question. Um, so you said that Warriors fans are, you know, a little bit up in arms, understandably, because it feels like the, they're definitely wasting an absolute peak Steph Curry year. And I agree with that. But do we not feel like he has multiple years left at this level, given the way that we probably expect his game to age? Yeah, uh, I definitely think so. I, I think he probably has another, like, until he's, like, at least 40. Like, he, he can probably play when he's, like, 42 as just a spot-up guy. Like, it's easily. But I think with Warriors fans, because uh, I follow quite a few of them on my timeline, uh, with their thing is the messaging behind um, the franchise and, like, the front office and the coaching staff. They keep putting out this message that we're not trying to compete. You don't want to hear that from anybody. Yeah. Like, you would never hear that out of Miami. Even during, like, the Dion Waiters years, they always said they wanted to compete for, like, at least the playoffs. Like, you hear Warriors fans get mad because they're saying, like, you hear Steve Kerr in postgame saying, we're not trying to win now. Like, we know you're not a championship-caliber team, but you can't be saying that. And that's where mm-hmm. a lot of frustration comes from Warriors fans because then that makes it, uh, it makes it feel more explicit that you're wasting another stuff year like this. And also why you haven't done anything with like the help or to help around him and all the stuff that you've swung and missed on, including your rookie pick, which I don't fault James Wiseman for. Like he's been put in a really bad position. Uh, It's just the frustration around the moves that don't speak to what the front office is saying. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I do want to offer one before we get into the things we like around the league. I do want to offer one team. I think the Charlotte Hornets. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. 
What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When they would be healthy with Gordon Hayward and LaMelo Ball, could actually become a pretty, pretty sneaky team in the play-in. And if I were a team that is, say, the one seed, like Philadelphia, obviously I think Philadelphia wins that series probably pretty handily, but they'd be such an annoying team to play. They really, really would because they play beautiful basketball. If you guys have watched Charlotte play, when they're at full strength, it is truly fun to watch. Like Charlotte, I know I'm a Heat fan, but like I like watching Charlotte play basketball because they play it the right way. Like it's ball movement. They're having fun. And outside of Tara Rozier and Devontae Graham, they don't really take bad shots. Like it's really just ball movement, hitting the corner shot or getting a cutter or Miles Bridges just going absolutely crazy. I do like what they're building in Charlotte. Um, I would like to see their team fully healthy. That would obviously be really interesting. Really quick, before we get into the one thing we like around the league, I was just perusing through the stats, and I came across this number, which I actually thought was pretty crazy. Um, on players who have two or more isolation possessions per game, who do you think would be the number one player in terms of points per possession? Marco, mm-hmm. you're thinking. Uh, I'm going to say... All right, I'm going to give you three guesses. Is that okay? Yeah, I have the top five, so I'll, if you guess – let's run it. Let's run it. All right, I got Jokic as one. Uh, I guess – do isolation positions count as post-ups and vice versa? I, I don't think so. I think that is a different – Okay. So I'll say Jokic one because he does a lot of face-up stuff. Steph Curry, uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, Jason Tatum. There, that's four. I don't know why. You got zero correct of the top five. Zero. Ariel. That's tough. Um, Okay, I'm going to go James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie is number three. Luca. Nope. Dame. Nope. CJ McCollum. Did you you go go Embiid, uh, Marco? No. I was going to, but I was like... Embiid is number five on this list, which I, wow. it truly speaks to how crazy he is because isolation possessions are, are typically not that efficient. And he's getting 1.12 points per possession as a seven-foot, 280-pound center. Like, Embiid is truly special. Like, that that's crazy. But, um, so no more guesses on number one. Any Anyone in the comments, you, none of you guys have gotten number one yet. You've come close. Some of you have got Kyrie. Um no, no more guesses as to who's number one. All right, give me uh, West or East. West. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, I was gonna go Tyler Hero. Um, <laughs> let's see, Masters. Is that Steph? What? Not Steph. He's not even in the top five. Oh, There's 41 players eligible for this list, by the way. 
So it's not like it's too small of a list. Okay. Zion? Nope. Ooh, really? Yeah. All right. Booker is my last guess. I've got nobody else. Nope. Number one in the NBA at 1.23 points per possession in isolation is DeMar DeRozan. Wow. <laughs> DeMar DeRozan by a, honestly a sizable margin. Number two of uh, being another Brooklyn net is actually Kevin Durant at 1.18. Mm. So DeMar DeRozan is like credit to him, man. He's still, he's I mean, one that's, hell of an ISO player. It's the mid range and he doesn't yep. even take threes. That's the yep. craziest part. He's doing this without taking threes. He draws fouls and he gets buckets. Like he is credit to DeMar DeRozan. That, that is, that threw me for a loop. Um, so we have number one, DeMar, number two, KD at 1.18, number three, Kyrie at 1.14, number four, Zach Levine at 1.13. So credit to him as well. That is, he's taking a really, really big leap. I just thought that was one stat that I would share. Um, but let's go to. Wait, wait, wait. I want to do one more thing about the play-in tournament. Go uh, ahead. Which matchup would you guys want to see, like, out of all the teams, East or West? Like, which, like, uh, head-to-head game would you, like, want to watch for, like, to go on to the playoffs? Warriors and Mavs. Mm, I like that. What about you, Ariel? That's tough. Um, I don't want to say the Heat in any matchup because I don't want (laughs) them to be there. Uh I think, you know what, I'm going to go with the Mavs as well, but I, I kind of like where it's at right now, where they play Memphis for the seven seed. Um, I like I just like the way the Grizzlies play the game. I like their scrappiness. I like John Morant. He's, you know, phenomenal. There's there are some warts in his game, but I think he's well on his way to being a really, really good player, obviously. Um, Dylan Brooks is fun. He kills the heat, so I should hate him but I'm trying to be unbiased. And I think he is a fire breather when he's aggressive defensively. He's really good as well. Um, yeah. I, I just, I mean, if you get an extra Luca game or two, who's going to complain. So I, I guess I go Dallas. Luca will definitely complain. Like Luka he will, will complain, and Mark yeah. Cuban will complain as well. And Chris Stapps will probably <laughs> complain as well, but um, I would like to see, I would like to see uh, that game as well. That would be fun. I think Memphis is, they're kind of like the wet. They're not West coast really. Like they're pretty close to the East Coast, honestly. Um, but they're kind of like the West, the Western Conference Hornets in the sense that they're well coached, younger team that just they play the right way, and it's it's fun to watch. Um, I probably go uh, Warriors Pelicans only to see Steph versus Zion because that's like star studded as heck. That'd be uh, fun. If, Very if I true. Could pick uh, Grizzlies Mavs because that would also be one of my picks. Uh, I'd go Warriors Pelicans and. Low key, I wouldn't mind uh, Grizz versus Spurs because they're like so similar in like how well coached they are and how they don't play like they don't make mistakes. Like they yeah. know each other's strengths, uh, and that would be fun to see. Like it would be like the Spider Man pointing me, and, and you know Texas is used to booing guys who look like Grayson Allen anyway. So if you know what I mean. <laughs> um Memphis also does or did get Jaron Jackson Jr. back. I just want to point put that out there. He can make a big difference on that Memphis team. But I do want to get to one thing that we like from around the league. I feel like I've been picking Marco first on a lot of these, so I'll go with Ariel first. It's all good, buddy. Um gonna go with Phoenix. I love the way they play. I love, you know, they're just such a fun team to watch. Um, like I think I had mentioned earlier, Booker is 
trending towards being a legitimate, like offensive super superstar, like one of the best scorers on planet earth. Um, I love his trajectory. They've got a bunch of really good wings from uh, Bridges to Cam Johnson to, of course, our guy, Jay Jay Crowder, boss man. Um, And of course, the the point guard, right? I mean, Chris Paul is ageless. It doesn't matter what situation you put him in, what team you put him on. He's going to lead your team to at least a playoff spot. I mean, he dragged – look at the roster – that he took to the playoffs last year in OKC. It's not a great team. They have a bunch of, you know, solid but not spectacular pieces. And in the loaded Western Conference, he dragged that team to, I believe, a five seed, if I remember correctly. They were like yeah, a four or five. Yeah. They oh, were some, game seven against the Rockets. Game yeah, seven. Yeah. They went Almost seven won. with James Harden and, and, and company. So, I mean, Chris Paul spectacular. You add him to a Phoenix team that missed the playoffs last year, though they did show, obviously, they had that strong showing in the bubble. Um, <laughs> Booker still no justice. Stop it, Christian. Um, yeah, I mean, they had that great showing in the bubble where they went 8-0. and It still wasn't enough for them to get into the playoffs, and I think that's a little bit ridiculous, but it is what it is. Um, and they've built on that. Adding Chris Paul has taken that team to the next level. Um, so yeah, I think I, I love what Phoenix has done. I don't really know if I buy them as having enough juice to get out of the West, but I think they can make a run for sure. They can get to the conference finals. Will they? I don't know, but I have a level of trust in them that I definitely haven't had in a while, of course, in the Phoenix Suns. So, uh, that's Chris Paul's effect to me and that's Devin Booker's improvement. Yeah, no, they've they've been really, really good. And uh, I know, I mean, I, I'm high on the Clippers. We'll talk about this in future episodes when we kind of talk more about the playoffs. But I think the Suns actually match up really, really well against the Clippers. And that is a matchup that I would love to see in like the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. But, Marco, your thoughts on the Suns or one thing that you like from around the league? Uh, a quick note about the Suns. Uh... Mike, Mike, Mikael Bridges is the best um, young 3 and D wing in the league right now, probably. Uh, in terms of role players, he's like the perfect role player, and I love watching him every night. And he's like, I don't know, there's something of, he's like the modern, like, new age Andre Iguodala almost. Uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton is going to probably be better than him in the future, but for right now, Mikael Bridges is like one of my favorite guys to watch. Uh, Agreed. My, fa- my favorite thing, uh, I saw earlier on Twitter, people were, or somebody was arguing that uh, the Sixers were, may regret not getting Mikael Bridges because they traded him for uh, Zaire mm-hmm. Smith. And they said, well, I would regret more passing on Dante DiVincenzo. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is the worst take I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> it's horrible. But okay, uh, sliding off of Phoenix real quick. Uh, uh, they didn't help your your Heat fans out here today, though. They lost to Boston uh, as we're recording this. Uh, but I'm going to go with De'Aaron Fox. He deserves to get his, like, flowers for this season, man. Especially, like, he needs those flowers to cover up the stink of the Kings right now. He's putting up, like, he's putting up 25-7 and, like, four boards pretty much this year. And he's getting, like, to the rim at, like, insane levels. And he's, and he's finishing at, like, elite levels. Like, his finishing is up there with, like, big men. And like yeah. Zion Williamson, and he and the fact that he like drives so much, he he averages almost twenty drives a game, which is like unheard of. But for a guard, I mean, that's still unheard of to me. Uh, and the three point shooting isn't there this year, uh, but he's at least taking them. And 
I like that he's like taking them without like hesitation, and that's like giving him more areas to like operate in terms of which avenues he's gonna take, which like uh, things he's gonna exploit out of the defenses. You know, he start. I, I like that he's taking the three pointers with more confidence. It definitely helps like expand his game, and he's still shooting forty seven percent from the field despite his three point percentage being at only thirty two percent. He's still like he's, he's he's so fun to watch too. Uh, I have a comparison to him. He's like, to me, he's like if Zion Williamson, let's say if De'Aaron Fox took the super soldier syndrome, he would be Zion Williamson. <laughs> like, because they're like so similar to me. Like, they're both like, they drive to the rim. Like, and but you feel like you can stop them because you're going under the screen against them. Like, you're not afraid of their shooting right now. But it doesn't matter. They still find a way to get to the rim. Like, Zion isn't at, isn't even driving as much as Zion or as Fox is, which you would think they would be closer to each other, but they're like Zion. That's actually like seven drives less a game, which is actually kind of insane to me. Uh, and they both play a similar because they both can handle the rock too. Obviously, Fox is more of a point guard because he is a point guard. Like he operates more in like pick and rolls. But I like the way that New Orleans has given the ball to Zion out on the perimeter more. That gives him more of a of a avenue to operate uh, his pick and rolls too. And I like that they have uh, small guards screen for him. It's actually something that I want Miami to do with Bam Adebayo. Uh, and yeah, they just remind me so much of each other. It helps that they're both left-handed too. Uh, and they both like operate in like so little space considering like the teams around them. They don't have spacers like De'Aaron Fox has more spacers, but he still doesn't have that kind of space that you would want a guard like him to have a five-out offense. They've been playing Hassan Whiteside still. <laughs> like, they're starting. Shameful. <laughs> Shameful. <laughs> That's the same way that, uh, you know, Zion is stuck with Steven Adams, but at least Steven Adams can set a decent screen. Uh, but he's still caught. The fact that Zion is still finishing inside with Steven Adams clogging up the lane is, like, insane to me, which is why it's pretty astounding the way that uh, De'Aaron Fox is finishing inside. Uh, with like Hassan Whiteside and Chris Silva calling out the lane. Actually, Chris Silva is actually playing for them, believe it or not. I saw him play yesterday. Uh, yeah, just the way they're, they're also really physical. Uh, when you when you meet them at the at the rim, they like, I mean, they maneuver their bodies like crazy. Like, they can like withstand like, the contact. You give them the first contact, they're still going to, okay, I'm going to move my hand in the middle of the air to the left side where your arm's not and your arm's already coming down as a defender and they still finish. It's like insane to me. I, I love watching both of them and I think Aaron Fox deserves more love this year. Uh, they need to fire Luke Walton and free my mans. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think De'Aaron Fox uh, kind of flying under the radar, like you've been saying, he does 100% deserve his flowers. I think this is pretty similar to kind of what development Devin Booker has had over the last few years in the sense that this not the same play style, like they're different players, different whatever. But I think the sense that they are both players that are stuck on bad teams, but they really have not been given the credit, but they have their own development into almost a borderline like young superstar. I don't guess you can't qualify them as full on superstars, but like they're in the upper echelon of the league in at, at their position, which is a, a huge accomplishment in its in and of itself. So yeah, absolutely giving credit to De'Aaron Fox. Um, I want to touch on a team that well, I was going to touch on the Hawks 
And then Trey Young went down. I don't know exactly what's going to go there, but give the Hawks their flowers. Nate McMillan has done a fantastic job with that role. I just want to say that about the Hawks. But the team that I'm going to talk about today is one that maybe Heat fans won't like that much. I know my guy, Ricky J. Mark, will. Um, the New York Knicks. No, God, please. You're an idiot. The New York basketball Knicks have actually been playing really, really, really good basketball. And I want to give them their flowers because I believe they've won eight straight since acquiring Derrick Rose. They are 22 and 13. They're number three in defensive rating. So they have an elite trait to hang their hat on when they go into the playoffs. Um, They are 15th in offensive rating since then and number seven in net rating over the last 35 games. That is quite an impressive feet on quite a large sample size. Uh, Julius Randle, shout out to him, probably going to win most improved player if he's not uh, getting that already. Uh, Trey injury is not serious. Uh, yes, but at the same time, ankle injuries are a bit like iffy. I don't know if they're going to push it for him because they pretty much have already made the playoffs. Like they did their work to get there. I think they might try to make sure he's 100% so they can compete. But back to Julius Randle. Shooting above 40% from every single area on the court. That's above the break threes, corner threes, mid-range, non-restricted area. Um, it's been really, really good from Julius Randle. And I want to touch on RJ Barrett because he's someone that was slandered a lot in his rookie season being a 19-year-old. Obviously, he did not have the most perfect season. But I think someone that RJ Barrett could maybe eventually amount to become is maybe not mentality-wise, but in terms of play style – uh, he kind of reminds me of a young Jimmy Butler, which is crazy to say. I'm not saying he's going to become Jimmy Butler, but you look at RJ in year two, which is when he's been given that starting role, and Jimmy in year four when he was given that started role. So RJ is 20. Jimmy is 25 in this scenario. RJ averaging 17, 6, and 3 with 38.6% from three. Jimmy, as a 25-year-old, averaging 26 and 3 three on 37.4% from three. So almost identical stats playing a ton of minutes under Tom Thibodeau. Um, Obviously Jimmy Butler's mentality is what sets him apart. And that is where RJ Barrett would need to get to, but he is just 20, I believe either 20 or 21 years old. So he's got a lot of room to grow. I I don't want to say that he's going to be Jimmy Butler and whatever. I just want to give him his flowers for playing really, really well um, after having what was not a great start to his career last year. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Knicks for the regular season success that they've been having. I'm iffy on their prospects in the playoffs, depending on who they match up with. I think if they start to slide with these next few games that they have a bit of a tougher road, um, it would be interesting to watch them play against a team like Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn Knicks would be like the perfect kind of almost rivalry to to rekindle right now because the Knicks uh, are on the, team up. the Nets are really, really, really good. So I would like to see that. Um, that that's just my Knicks talk. I, I really – I want to give them their credit. They've been playing great defense, and I'll RJ give, deserves a little bit of respect. I'll give credit to the Knicks improving their three-point shooting like crazy. Like, they've actually been on a tear recently in three-point shooting. And the thing about the Nets and the Knicks thing, it's crazy how it, – it's so similar to the, to the Mets and the Yankees because the Knicks fans – talk about the Nets more than probably Nets fans talk about the Nets. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. They, they get so annoyed when you bring them up. And, like, I get it. It's like if Orlando, I guess, got a big three all of a sudden. But even then, Orlando was in, like, Brooklyn. Like, that, like that. Uh, I, I, it's a little brother syndrome, pretty much. 
but the other way around. It's like Big Brother syndrome. It's weird because you're the Knicks. You're not supposed to like care this much about another team, but you do. Uh, yeah, I always found that weird. Knicks fans parading in the street after an eight-game win streak was really, really, really funny to me. Um, I guess they haven't tasted success in a long time, so this is kind of like how they celebrate. Um, I'm not a Knicks fan, by the way. I'm just giving a team their flowers for playing good basketball and putting it on TV so I've been able to watch them over the last few games. Uh, it's still Heat in five. Oh, it has been, always will be. That's not a question. Maybe even Heat in four. I think I would love for the Heat to play against the Knicks in a series, but – um, I would love to see them play against the Nets because stylistically, the Knicks do everything that the Nets don't want to play against. Like they score inside, they have physical players. Julius Randle just plays bully ball for 48 minutes. RJ Barrett tries to play bully ball, bully ball for 48 minutes. And Tom Thibodeau, like he just wants his guys to play bully ball. And the Nets, they want to beat you with finesse, isolation, all that good stuff. I think it would be a good kind of clashing of styles in that series. Not saying that the Knicks would win, but maybe they win a game or two in that series and, uh, Kind of remind me of like the 2017 Nets or 2018 Nets where they make a little bit of noise early in the season and then they make the playoffs, losing round one, and then they're on the up and up. Um, area. I mean, yeah, I just want to jump in real quick on the Knicks. I do agree with a lot of what you said, um, but I kind of feel like they're probably one of the teams that nobody wants to see in the first round for a couple of reasons. reasons yeah, definitely. Reason one being they are, like you said, phenomenal defensively. Um, Tibbs coach teams are usually really good defensively and that's a team that I as a Heat fan and I'm sure most other fan bases as whatever team they're rooting for want nothing to do with in round one um, the Knicks defend like crazy and again Julius Randle has taken the leap this season he has transformed his game he is a scorer who can score from anywhere on the court he plays bully ball he gets to the rim He's got the three-point jumper that he gets to from catch and shoot or off the bounce. It doesn't really matter. He's just, you know, they've they've kind of put him in a position to succeed, and he's done a really good job with it. But a lot of it is on him, you know, adding all these other areas and all these other um, just things to his bag that he didn't really have in the past. Yeah. Um, so props to him. He's become a really good player. He's still not better than Chris Bosh was, and I don't want to hear that nonsense. <laughs> but – the Knicks are a team that I want nothing to do with in the first round, and I think if they get the right matchup, they may win that series. Which is crazy. We did not expect this to be year one of Tom. An idiot sandwich. This is a cast of misfits that are fitting together in a beautiful way, and honestly, it's it's been fun to watch. Like I know as Heat fans, I shouldn't be rooting for them. I wasn't old enough for the whole Heat-Knicks rivalries anyways, so – I appreciate good basketball when I see it. I appreciate the Knicks right now. Um, but we are Heat fans, and uh, I think it's time to talk about the Miami Heat. So, man, if you want to throw up that graphic, we're going to have this little segment at the end of every single one of these. We're going to call it the Culture Corner, uh, maybe poking a little bit of fun of some other shows that we might have on this network. But this is the Culture Corner. So we're going to talk Miami Heat right now. They won three straight. Um, the real talk of the town is Tyler Hero. So I'm just going to throw these stats out at you because I think I found kind of the maybe not the reason, but a pretty good explanation as to why he's had such a hard fall off in the middle of the year. Um, it goes back to that injury on primetime against the Los Angeles Lakers, I believe, on February 20th, maybe February 19th uh, in the second quarter against Alex Caruso. Before that, so from December 1st up until February 19th, Tyler Hero was averaging 17.4 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game, 3.9 assists per game, 
2.6 turnovers, 34% from three on 6.1 attempts per game, 77% from free throw on 2.5. Um, Pull-up shooting was also not that bad. He was shooting 38% or 39% on 7.2 attempts a game, 46% effective field goal percentage, catch and shoot 38% on almost three attempts a game. He was driving 11.6 times a game. So a lot of aggression in terms of like letting the ball fly with how he's playing early in the year. And then since then, 13 points per game, 3.8 rebounds per game, three assists per game. The turnovers are down 1.5, shooting 31% from three. Pull-up shooting has been down to 35.3% on 4.8 attempts. Catch and shoot is down to 30.9% on 2.8 attempts from three a game, and drives are down to 8.3. So I'm not making excuses for the kid. He's not played up to par but I think maybe the expectations that we had going into the season should have been adjusted a little bit. Um, I'm questioning his role, but I just want to know, Marco, like how are you feeling about this whole Tyler Hero saga that I guess has happened with Heat fans over the last, say, few weeks? Oh, wow. Uh, I guess I see what the frustration is, but I also sometimes I'm like, this is a little too much because this is a second-year guy, but everybody accelerated his timeline like outside of his like control pretty much everybody expects him to be something he's not in the second year of his like of his professional career which has been like messed up by so much around him you know the covid protocols he's gotten hurt a lot a quick turnaround so we didn't have a uh, training camp it's like you guys need to slow down and Ease your expectations. I've come to do that. I had high expectations too, but I realized this is a kid picked at number 13 who was being compared to Devin Booker already. I'm like, okay, maybe we should have <laughs> eased up on that. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from. He's not making his open threes. That's been like one thing that's been annoying me is he hasn't made his open threes like and he's hesitating. last year. And like he's gotten good shots too. Like, and he's passed up good shots. Yes, that's my problem. And, like, I don't get that either. I think his pull-up game will get there eventually. I think he'll be a pretty good pull-up shooter. I just I, – I get the frustration, but I think it goes too far sometimes. Uh, I will say his defense does need to improve, and he does need to earn his minutes. I don't think he needs to be given his minutes just because of what the team expects him to become. Like, I feel like they're giving him these minutes, like, thinking he's going to be part of the future. Like, not because he's earning them. Uh, he does earn them, like, some nights. And I want to say he was on a pretty good stretch up until that road trip came about. Like, that mm-hmm. Portland, after that Portland game, it's just recency bias as well. Like, he's had a couple of really bad games recently. Yeah. Uh, bad stretches. It's going to be an up-and-down year. It's a second-year guy that's not, like, a good creator off the dribble. Uh, he's not a guy who's going to give you isolation offense. It's or not good isolation offense. He can't get past his man without a screen. <laughs> he he'll get he'll eventually get better. I just I don't get the over overabundance of like oh, this guy sucks. You should have traded him for blah 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 and all this. It's it's gonna be fine. He's gonna be a fine role player. You should have expected him to be a fine role player, but it it's just the season with a team who wants to compete and like they can't wait on him to get where he where they think he's going to be for too long because you're on a 
on Jimmy Butler's timeline. That's also the frustrating part. And he's not going to be on Jimmy Butler's timeline. And he's kind of let him down this year at times because Jimmy likes him. Uh, he likes what, like, he, he's always said he's like his competitive nature and all that. And now there's, like, his thoughts about him not being, like, focused and, like, that have come out. And that's also probably going to lead to more frustration. Uh, I think everybody needs to ease up on him. But also, you can't. I also don't get people that have been overprotective of him. Yeah. Uh, you still need to hold him accountable. Like uh, Alex Toledo holds Spro accountable. Uh, <laughs> you, you still want to reward the guys that are playing well. Like you can't reward guys just because you're so used to rewarding them. Like if he's having trouble out there, you replace him with Duncan Robinson or you bring Kendrick Nunn in. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's the thing that Spo always preaches about. You need to earn your minutes. And like, yes. I get why some people might think that he's not earning his minutes as well. Yeah, I, I think earning minutes is the perfect way to put it. Ariel, uh, we'll close with you. Your thoughts on the Tyler Hero saga. My thoughts on the Tyler Hero thing is like Marco said, he hasn't quite lived up to expectations. I don't want to speculate too much on what's happened um, in terms of like off the court stuff and whatever other various factors. Definitely we know about the whole uh, COVID season and what has played into the scheduling and the shorter off season and all of that stuff definitely affects him. But frankly, we are not necessarily in the business of playing guys who don't merit the time. Now I'm not saying that he is a bad basketball player, but Frankly, if you're the Heat and your goal is to compete this season, if he's not cutting it and he's getting killed on defense and he's having game after game that are inefficient and then he sprinkles in, you know, short stretches where he's really good, I just don't see it. I don't see that. I don't see him deserving playing time over guys like Kendrick Nunn. Um, definitely not a guy like Duncan Robinson. If Victor Oladipo comes back, I think Spo has to do a really good job of just, you know, giving guys minutes based on the meritocracy, and, and mm -hmm. that's all it should come down to. And definitely the developmental reps help him, but it is what it is. You're trying to win right now. Yeah, no, I, you. if I could print out what you said, put those quote, like put that quote behind my head and just have it framed in my room, I think I would do that because you said, like I, you articulated that perfectly, and I appreciate the way that you just said that because it, it should be a meritocracy. Like earn what you are given. Like, that's what he needs to do. And, I mean, hopefully he ends up turning it around. But I think right now we just need some semblance of production from the guards. With all that being said, this is the end of the Full Court Press, our very first episode. Thank you guys in the comments for tuning in with us. This is an extension of Five on the Floor. It may be on the podcast feed. Um, make sure you check out that podcast if you're a Heat fan. And thank you guys for supporting us in the comments. We will be back soon. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.